Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching from our lead pastor, Adam Scott. Hey, good morning, Northridge. I'm glad that you guys are here. Hey, I want you to know that, uh, that I had the opportunity to stand over here because we kept giving away all of our seats, okay, to people that were coming in, and we were celebrating that. I didn't want to take up the front row in case, you know, somebody decided that they were okay sitting on the front row when we talked about Revelation, okay? You guys, uh, the rest of you, not so much. But I, I stood off over here and I was able to watch the worship for just a minute. And man, it brought a smile to my face to see generations of people coming together to sing and praise the name of Jesus as a community. Man, if it sounded good to me, I can only imagine what it sounded like in heaven to God. Like you guys sounded awesome. And I just wanna thank you guys for that. Hey, can I ask college students, would you guys stand up for just a second? I just want to see where you guys are, okay? Hey, Northridge, y'all tell them what you think about college students. Awesome, awesome. Hey, you guys can have a seat. I just want you to know how grateful we are that you're here today. I know it's a cold, rainy Sunday morning and you got up and you got here and you packed yourselves in and we're excited that you're here because you make us as a church better. Hey, listen, we're jumping into a brand new series this week and I know a lot of people are excited about this one. We're gonna spend the next seven weeks in the final book of the Bible and that's the book of Revelation, okay? Now, now, this book is an incredibly unique part of Scripture, okay? It's, it's, it's apocalyptic in nature, which means that it talks about the end times, the end of the world. And, and essentially what it is, is it's an unveiling or a disclosure of things that are only known to God, oftentimes through symbolic language and, and, and symbolic pictures. Let me give you some examples of some of the things that you find in Revelation, just in case you've never opened up to that part of the Bible. You've got an angel whose legs are pillars of fire, okay? That's quite the picture. You've got men who ride on horses while inflicting plagues on the world. You've got a woman who is clothed with the sun. You've got locusts with scorpions' tails and human heads. And you've got a fiery red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns. Like, this is a crazy book of the Bible, right? Like, it, it sounds a little more like Game of Thrones or something than it does some serious part of Scripture, but all this stuff is in there, and all of this has a purpose and a place. You see, in the midst of all these symbolic elements that we see in the book of Revelation, we find one simple and clear truth, okay? It's simply this. God is all-powerful. So as you're reading through the book of Revelation, you need to keep that in mind. That's the message of the book. God is all powerful. There is no person and there is no power that is able to frustrate the plans or purposes of God. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we're simply asking all powerful God, what is it that you wanna to say to your church today? We're ready, we're open, we're willing to learn and grow. Speak to us so that we can become more like the church you want us to be. Well, the answer to that question is buried in just two chapters of the book of Revelation. Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. In those two chapters, Jesus sends letters to seven different churches. And although they're addressed to specific churches, 
Okay, it also emphasizes over and over and over again throughout these letters that it's to be used by all of us, churches today, churches like ours, so that we can grow closer to Jesus. Let me give you a modern picture of what it may have looked like when Jesus wrote these letters. Watch this video. Speaking of bad reviews, computers are mostly pointless, but that Yelp thing gave me a great idea on how to criticize people and places. I am composing strongly worded letters about things I disapprove of, and I am using the internet to get addresses where I can send them. So far, I've written to a vegetable farm, several European ambassadors, a manufacturer of male cologne, and a non-fat frozen yogurt bar. Dear frozen yogurt, you are the celery of desserts, be ice cream or be nothing. Zero stars. Hey, anytime I can work Ron Swanson into a sermon, it's going in a good direction, okay? He says this, he says, I'm composing a strongly worded letter about things I disapprove of. And listen, at times, that's exactly what it sounds like Jesus is doing. I mean, it carries that same harsh tone. It's, it's like the church is, is frozen yogurt and he's mad about it. But then at other times, he highlights these praiseworthy aspects of the church's work. But what we're gonna find as we dive into the series is that through the correction and the celebration, we get to find direction that Jesus wants us to travel so we can experience more of his power at work in and through us. Let's dive into the first one. Okay, Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. We're gonna read it all the way through and then we're gonna unpack it together in sections. This is what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. Okay, let's, let's start off with a little context surrounding the church and even the city of Ephesus, okay? This is written to that specific church. And, and the city of Ephesus was home to over 250,000 people, okay? Like this, this was a big place. It was a, a big city. It was the center of, of commerce and trade in the region, which caused it to be one of the most powerful and prosperous places in Rome. In addition to that, this city was full of religious curiosity. Okay, you had, you had temples everywhere and, and you had religious groups all over the place. You had a large Jewish population, but you also had this heavy interest in magic and sorcery and other things. According to the book of Acts, the church was established in AD 52 and it, it served as the center for evangelism in the area. And in other words, due in part to the city's trade route, this church had more influence on the spread of Christianity and, and, and the, the development of new churches in the area than any other church receiving a letter. Essentially, they were the mother church. 
Like they were, they were the mother church and they were really proud of the fact that they served in that role for the other churches in the area. As a matter of fact, they were so proud of this fact that, that Jesus makes this powerful statement right at the beginning to help establish himself and his relation to the church. This is what he says in verse one. He says, these are the words of him, talking about himself, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven, gold, seven golden lampstands. Clear as mud, right? Okay, this description is, is not all that complicated. Jesus um, has, has used this description already in chapter one, and it's repeated here with even more emphasis. You see, the number seven, whenever you see that in the Bible, it represents completeness. The stars in this section, they represent angels, and the seven lampstands represent the churches. The point here is, is Jesus is establishing his authority over the church in Ephesus. All he's saying in this verse is, listen, you may be the mother church. You're important. You, you have an important role to play, but I, Jesus, I am the supreme ruler of every church. He says, I, I walk among the churches. I, I tower over the churches, and I alone have the power to remove any church from their position of power and influence. Here's the first takeaway that we get from this letter. It was a reminder for the church in Ephesus. It's a reminder for us today. The church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. I mean, that's obvious, right? Who else would it belong to? But sometimes, you and I, we, we fall into this trap of believing that the church, our church, really is our church. I mean, think about it. Have you ever said or thought one of these things? The church is not serving my needs or it's not operating the way I want it to. Or what about this? They, they better recognize the time, money, or talent that I bring to this place because they could not do what they do without me. Let me tell you something, Kate. Okay? Whatever we bring to it or whatever we want from it, this church and every church, it belongs to Jesus. And I promise you, whatever we bring to it, we'll never be able to match what he paid for it. What about this? Maybe you've thought or said something like this. I feel overwhelmed in the role I'm serving and I'm scared that I might mess up this whole church with my incompetence, okay? I feel that way sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one. Or maybe when you started serving with four-year-olds, maybe you felt the exact same way. But here's the reality. Okay, we cannot mess up with our incompetence what he chooses to build. Why? Because it's not our church. It's his church, and he's choosing to use us in it. Let's line ourselves up more with the attitude of the church in Ephesus. Maybe you've said or thought these things. Can, can you believe what we have accomplished? Man, we are so much better than the church down the street. Or man, the growth that we're seeing, the success that we're having, nothing can stop us now. Let me tell you something. It's, it's that thought process that leads Jesus to begin the first letter in the very first verse in this way by saying that this church, that church, and the one across town all exist for him and accomplish their unique purpose because of what he chooses to do through us. The church belongs to Jesus. Now let's put a picture around this, okay? We just talked about college students. A lot of you live in a dorm room, right? 
Okay, and a lot of times you can think of a dorm room as your dorm room, right? I mean, you'll invite people over and you'll say, hey, come watch the Super Bowl at my place. Come on over and let's have dinner at my place. But really, you know it's not yours, it belongs to somebody else, right? I mean, it existed before you moved in and, and Lord willing, it's, it's gonna exist after you move out. And, and not only that, but, but you were only a steward of it for a season, the owner has all the authority. I mean, they set the rate. They set the rules and they determine how long you get to call it home. Listen, in the same way, the scope and the span of this church and every church is so much bigger than the here and now. It's bigger than the current tenants, okay? Those of us that choose to worship in this place. It's bigger than those of us who serve in leadership. We're all in an interim role. We're gonna be gone one day and somebody else is gonna sit in the seat. Listen, it's bigger than the offering that we collected last week. It's not ours. The church belongs to Jesus. It belongs to the one who holds the stars in his right hand and walks among all of the churches. And we as a church, we're just simply grateful for all the things that he chooses to do in and through us. Now, we're grateful that we get to serve as a part of his big plan. Listen, with this framework in mind, Jesus sends them off in another direction where he begins to explain some of the things that they're doing well in their position as the church. This is what he says in verses two and three. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Listen, this is the part of the letter that the church in Ephesus wanted to cut out and frame and hang up in their lobby. Like this is what they wanted to put on their website. This is where Jesus is patting them on the back and saying, this is the part that you're doing right. I see what you're doing. I acknowledge it and I'm grateful for your faithfulness. See, the presence of false teachers was an ongoing problem for the early church. Okay, we, we see that all throughout the New Testament. There was people that were constantly trying to step in and, and disrupt the unity of this new church movement. Paul even warns about this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He says, look, savage wolves are coming. And in this story, we see that they have come, but the church in Ephesus has held on to what they know is true. They've triumphed over the heretics. They've maintained their spiritual watchfulness, not just once, not just twice, not three times. They have persevered in their desire to stand on truth. Listen, how many of you started driving recently? Anybody like over here within the past year or so? Okay, all right, one person has just started driving. Okay, I'm gonna preach to you for, no, I'm not gonna do that, okay? When you first start driving, like I can remember, it's been a lot of years, and, and most of you can remember this too. When you start driving, you get really excited, right? I mean, there's this new power that you have, and every time you pull out of your driveway, like you have this adrenaline. You are alert, and you are ready to go, right? And, and if, if there's something that needs to be picked up, if there's something you need to go get, like you volunteer, right? You're like, you know what? Uh, we need milk. I got it. 
I'll go to Kroger, okay? Chick-fil-A forgot to put a straw in the bag. I'll go get it. I'm, I'm on my way out because I want to drive just a little bit more. But you also know that within a couple years, all of that changes. All of a sudden, you're not so excited to drive anymore. You start to grumble and you start to get bored. I went on a six-hour drive the other day all by myself to Orlando, and I'm telling you something, I was not having a good time. Matter of fact, I drank so much coffee, you could have fueled a rocket ship with it. Like, I was, I was just trying to survive. I was not having fun. Listen, here's the reality, okay? Even tasks that feel important in the beginning, like driving, they, they often lose their significance over time. And that's what makes the church in Ephesus so incredibly special. You see, not only did they do the hard work of protecting the believers in the church, but they persevered without growing weary. You see, protecting people from heretics, protecting people from false teaching, this was a value, it was a priority, and it was a reputation that this particular community had, and Jesus praises them for serving him in that way. Here's the second truth that we find in this letter. The church honors Jesus when it stands for truth. Not one time, not two times, not three times, but when it perseveres and holds tightly to truth, as if truth were always under attack. Because guess what? It is. You see, the church honors Jesus when, when, when we stand up as the church and we say, hey, the world is teaching one thing. The world is making good arguments and, 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 and they're telling me that they're gonna make my life more difficult if I don't just give up and go with the flow. But still, I, I choose to submit to the authority of scripture. You see, the church honors Jesus when, when we stand up and we say, Jesus, I don't understand why your word says this. I don't know why it addresses this issue in this way. If I were writing the Bible, I would not have said it like this. But even though I don't understand it, I choose to submit myself to the authority of scripture. But listen, the only way we can do that the only way we can honor Jesus in that way is if we become wildly familiar with what scripture actually says. Listen, I got home the other day and my son, he's, he's six years old and, and he, was, he was sitting on the couch and he had, um, he had a couple of these $100 bills, okay? And he was just kind of thumbing through them, just looking at them like this. Um, and I panicked, okay? I immediately demanded to know who entrusted my six-year-old with $200. He doesn't come home with his socks most days, okay? Why is he responsible for this much money? This is an accident waiting to happen and it's not going to end well. In the middle of my rant, he starts laughing, okay? Because it says, um, copy money, okay? It's all pretend. And he had planned this the entire time, okay? And I didn't know he could lie that well, but he's very good at it. And he set me up and he tricked me with, the, with, uh, with a fake bill. Listen, if we're gonna honor Jesus by standing for truth in the way the church of Ephesus did, then we've got to know and recognize the real thing. You see, we, we can't allow ourselves to be tricked or misled by every new idea and perspective. Do you know how easy it is to publish a book? Do you know how easy it is to write a blog or to launch a podcast? Do you know how easy it is to vomit opinions on social media? Listen, if we're gonna stand for truth, we gotta stop looking to that stuff to understand the world around us, and we gotta start looking to what he has to say to us. If we're gonna stand for truth, we've got to spend more time in God's word than we do under the world's influence, all right? 
The church in Ephesus would want us to just pray and go home here. Like that's what they would want us to do, just stop. This part of the letter is good. The rest of it, it goes downhill fast and we don't wanna talk about it. The plumber asked me the week after Christmas right here at the church, he said, you want the good news or the bad news first? And I was like, oh, I want the good news and I want you to go home. Like I don't want you to keep going. I didn't get out of it that easy and neither did the church in Ephesus. This is what Jesus says in verse four. He says, yet I hold this against you. You've done a lot of good things, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You see, the problem is that the Ephesians had grown to love truth more than they loved people. Okay, they didn't start off that way, but the struggle with false teachers, it, it ultimately gave them a calloused heart. And the love that they had at first, it, it just kind of grew cold over time and it was replaced with a passion to simply expose the flaws of others. As a community, they had been closed off or at least skeptical of opening their doors to anybody else. The next verse, Jesus tells them how to get back on track. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Focus on yourself, repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, this is his warning, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Consider the grace that has been shown to you. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. When you find somebody that is out of line or wrong, remember that you once were too. And he says, if you can't get this, if you can't get back on track, if you can't begin loving people the way you used to, he says, then I'm gonna remove your lampstand from its place because a church that has forgotten to love is a church that ceases to be the church. Here's the final takeaway from this letter. The church is measured by the love it shows. See, other things are important, but the church is measured, it's graded. The scale is how we choose to love others. As my daughter is a gymnast and she competed yesterday. She was in the last service. She loves when I talk about her on stage. Um, everybody clapped for her. Um, it's not gonna be a fun lunch when I get out of here, okay? But she actually won uh, third place overall at a gymnastics competition yesterday. Um, and she's doing a great job. She's been doing gymnastics for eight years now, okay? Since she was four years old. And, and, and as I've watched her compete over and over and over again, you'd think I would understand what the judges are looking for, right? But I don't have any idea. She'll do a floor routine and I watch her flip and do all these different things that I could never in my wildest dreams do. And I'm like, that was perfect. You didn't mess up at all. That's gonna be a 10, like a 9.8 maybe, but, but that was incredible. And then she'll get an 8.2. I'm like, what did they see that I didn't see? And then, then she'll get up there and, and she'll do something and she'll stumble a little bit. And I think, oh boy, here it comes. 7.8, this one's not gonna be good. She'll get a 9.4. And I'm like, I just don't understand it. I don't know what it is they're looking for. I don't know how to judge the routine in the way that they do. If I only understood it like she did, I'd probably get a little bit more out of it. Listen, over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, love is the test of a relationship with Jesus. You see, other things matter, but this is what the judge is looking for. This is what the judge is watching. This is how we will be graded. This is how we achieve. This is how we thrive. This is how we be the church that God created us to be when we choose to love unconditionally. 
Listen, when it comes to this idea of love, the church in Ephesus was falling short. They weren't measuring up. They weren't doing the things that Jesus wanted them to do. But what about us? You see, when somebody walks through those doors, and it's obvious, okay, that they are living a lifestyle that is out of line with scripture. Let me ask you this, will our truth or our love drive the relationship that we have with them? Now, I'm not suggesting that we alter or abandon truth, but that we go out of our way to make sure our love is the thing they remember most about us. When our friends or our family members make decisions that we don't agree with, will it be our truth or our love that speaks the loudest? You see, the truth is, if, if God didn't send Jesus into this world to condemn it, I doubt he sent us to the world to condemn it either. Listen, when another person's choices offend us, will we remember the grace that was shown to us by Jesus on the cross, or will we just cast them aside as youth, useless, hopeless, and unworthy? Listen, love is what the judge is looking for. That's how we will be measured, and that's what makes us the church. Here's our sermon in a sentence. Christ's church shows Christ's love. It's as simple as that. Christ's church shows Christ's love. Maybe you're here today and, and you say, I've, I've been in the church and I, I've had a bad experience because I was at a church that did not show Christ's love and, and it wounded me. Listen, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for trying again. If, if this letter proves anything, it's that no church is gonna get it right every single time, us included. We're gonna mess up and we're gonna fall short, but we want you to know something. We love you unconditionally. Not because of what you do, not because of what you don't do, but because Jesus first loved us. We're not gonna shy away from truth. Listen, we want you to come to a place where you embrace truth and accept Jesus as the authority in your life. Man, but we want our relationship together to be driven by the fact that we love you because Jesus told us that's our responsibility. Maybe you're in this place and, and you say, you know what, I wanna do more of that. I, I wanna share more of Christ's love. I want to be the church. Let me tell you how to do it, okay? It happens when we as a church stop waiting on the church to organize opportunities to do it. You see, Amy was standing up here a minute ago and she shared some things that we as a church have organized. And those are incredible things, opportunities that have come about because of your faithfulness in giving. But when God is gonna break loose in this community, it's gonna be when each and every one of us says, I'm not waiting on Northridge Christian Church to set up another opportunity for me. I'm gonna go be the church today. I'm gonna be Northridge Christian Church when I go to school. I'm gonna be Northridge Christian Church when I go to the store. I'm gonna be Northridge Christian Church to my family and I'm gonna love people the way Jesus loved me. Listen, that's our heart. That's who we wanna be. We want to show love because that's what the church does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing love to us when we didn't deserve it. God, when we were the ones that should have been cast aside and labeled as worthless and, and hopeless, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and, and it changed everything. So God, I pray that that simple fact, remembering who he is and what he did for us would change our hearts so that we can love the people that you place in our paths. God, I pray that you make us hungry for truth. 
I pray that you give us a drive and a desire to go deeper and deeper in your word than we've ever been before. I pray that you would make us a church that is open to the things that you wanna say to us that are difficult to understand and even more difficult to apply. But God, I pray that our reputation in this community, above anything else, would be one of love. I pray that when people look at us, they would say there's something special going on in that place. Not because their list of beliefs, that matters, but because of the way they love one another and because of the way they love me. God, I pray that you help us to be the church. Help us to be the kind of church that receives a letter that says you are loving people the way you're supposed to and lives are being changed because of it. Thank you for using us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.